Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we get started by talking about the NFL schedule? It was officially released at 8 p.m. Eastern last night. Now, there were some leaks before that, but then the dam was finally opened up and it all came rushing out. You've got to give the NFL a lot of credit for this. They have managed to turn an announcement of dates into an event. Like, the thing is, we've known for a while who each team was going to play. It was just a matter of plugging those games into dates, and yet somehow, some way, that has turned into a major event in and of itself. I mean, you talk about brilliant marketing. Now, I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's like some sort of national holiday, because I don't know anybody who is taking time off of work for the schedule release. Even Alvin didn't work one of his famous four-day work weeks so he could focus either on the big reveal itself or spend today thinking about how he wanted to react to all of it. So it's not that big, but it's pretty damn big. So why don't we do that thing that people used to do back in the olden days and instead of tapping it out on a smartphone, let's break out a big-ass red Sharpie. And start circling dates on calendars. Now, in order to do this, you're going to have to actually leave your house and go to this funky place that's called a bookstore. Write that down. Bookstore. This is a building where they sell books. Maybe you've heard. Maybe you've heard really old people talk about that place. And then when you go to that bookstore, you buy a calendar. Maybe you've heard the same old people talk about those things. A calendar is this weird paper thing that lists all the months and days together. I mean, I know it's a trip, right? Stay with me. Go to a thing called a bookstore and buy a thing called a calendar. Then open up that calendar. Open it up. Go to the month of September. And start by circling the ninth, because that's when the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks open up the season by punching Dallas in the face. And that's when Jerry Jones reveals any additional work he's done to his own face in the offseason or shows us what's left of his face. What do you mean? Unless there's some miracle for that Dallas Cowboys defense, let's go ahead and assume that the Bucks are already 1-0. Meantime, week one also serves up some pretty spicy games like Pittsburgh at Buffalo, Sam Darnold and the Panthers hosting his old team, the Jets, the Saints without Drew Brees, hosting the Packers, possibly without Aaron Rodgers. And then you get to the Browns, the Cleveland Browns at Kansas City, 425 p.m. Eastern time on CBS. The reloaded Browns against KC's revamped offensive line. In other words, the AFC championship game preview in week one. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm saying. Browns at KC. AFC championship game preview. Man, I love it so much. That is some genius scheduling. The Browns season ended in KC last year. Now they get to go back and start it this year. Right there. And that's not the only time that America's team is in the spotlight this year. 
They're hosting the Steelers on Halloween. They go to the Packers on Christmas Day. They're at Pittsburgh for Monday Night Football on January 3rd. Late season, primetime, division rival. Man, that's going to be a hell of a game. Hell of a game. Now, you might try to argue that America's team, the Browns, aren't what I make them out to be. And that they just got jammed hard by the schedule makers. So they're about to get their comeuppance. They're going to get exposed. To which I would say, and I would reply, fine. You are entitled to your take, no matter how wrong it is. And if you want to open up your gap and have a bunch of verbal diarrhea come running right out of it, you go right ahead. You go right ahead. Or you can help me help you. You can help me make you look smart, and you can just regurgitate what I've been telling you here for many years because I know what the hell I'm talking about. Admit it. The Browns are legit. And admit this. I was the first human being on this planet, certainly the first one, with a national megaphone to shout from the highest rooftops that I found America's team, the new America's team, and they're freaking coming. And I was right. And if you want to be right, you'll listen to what I'm saying finally. Yes, they've got a rough schedule. And no, I don't give a damn. Because as the great Monty Williams likes to say, everything you want is on the other side of hard. And the Cleveland Browns and I are not looking for any handouts. Just like we're not looking to take part, we are looking to take over. Man, the league didn't jam them with that schedule, but they did jam them with only a few primetime games. I mean, there was a time when the Browns having three primetime games would have been a reason to party. Right now, it's practically a reason to go. It's definitely a reason to feel disrespected. They're freaking America's team. And America wants to see them. Three primetime games. Come on. It's the same number as the Giants. And the Giants have been garbage for years. Hell, the Bears have more primetime games than the Browns. The Bears. And yes, I know how these things work. I understand Chicago is a bigger market. I understand that maybe, maybe back in the day, you could argue they had more of a national vibe. But that was then... This is now, and then was a lifetime ago. So, now that we have the schedule, and we have the power to flex, let's start flexing the Bears the hell off my TV. And additional games for America's team. Now, the schedule release was about more than just the Browns and their path to the Super Bowl. There are a few other interesting items as well. For instance, the Tampa Bay Bucks. And the Patriots in week four. You think that game might get any run whatsoever? Man, you see the question of Brady or Belichick. That question? Already been answered. We saw what each of them did without the other last season. Brady won a ring. The Hood and the Pats went down the toilet and got flushed out to sea. But now we get to see them go head-to-head. Apparently, the Hood did not take Tommy kicking his ass all that well because he got after it in the offseason. I mean, that was like the most unhood-like offseason ever. And as we know with Brady, it's never enough. It's never enough. That's part of what makes that guy the amazing nerd that he is. It's never enough. And the only thing that he would like better... Thank you, Alvy. You know, when I think about that guy, the only thing that he would like better than to win a Super Bowl 
in his first season without the hood is to show up the following year, stab that old man in the chest, carve out his heart, and show it to him. That would probably mean more to Brady than any of the Super Bowls he has actually won. So, when these insufferable two dudes spend that entire week leading up to that game saying absolutely nothing about each other, don't buy it. But go ahead and buy this. They pretty much hate each other's guts now. And they can't wait to try to run the score up on each other and humiliate the other guy. And you know what? I'm actually here for it. I'm actually here for it. And by the way, how about the Bucks winning the Super Bowl and then coming back and having one of the easiest, if not the easiest, schedule in the league thanks to playing six games against rebuilding divisional opponents? If you thought that Brady was insufferable before, just wait to see this guy's act this season because this dude is getting more and more comfortable on social, which is not good for anybody. And you know he has seen the schedule, and you know he is licking his nerdy chops already. You know I'd get to the Bills. How about those Buffalo Bills? How about them getting four primetime games? And again to that, I would say, why not more? Why only four? Why not five? Why not six? The Bills are prime time stars. Man, treat them like it. Treat them like it. They've earned it. And just like Cleveland, they're not going to get anything handed to them because they open up the season with six of their first seven games against teams that were either in the playoffs last year or just missed. Now, back in the day, that would have been a reason for the Bills Mafia to go into a full-blown panic. Not anymore because the Bills no longer have to deal with all these playoff-bound teams. These playoff-bound teams have to deal with the Bills. You take that roster and that coaching staff and their front office and that schedule, and you've got yourself double-digit wins again, an AFC Eastern title again. And now, even all of that is not good enough for this crew. Not nearly good enough. Because that turnaround in Buffalo has been nothing short of amazing. They used to be a punchline. Now they're a must-see team. And not just for the mafia, but for everybody. And speaking of punchlines, let's skip to the one road game everybody's drooling over. Wait for it. The one place you want to go to get right. The get-right road game. Where? Vegas, baby. You know it. Baltimore is there week one. Miami, week three. Chicago, week five. Philadelphia, week seven. Kansas City and Cincinnati, weeks 10 and 11, respectively. Washington, week 13. Denver, week 16. And, of course, the Chargers in week 18. If you want to hit Vegas and you want to see your team with a really good chance to get a win on the road, that's the date for you. If you're any of those teams and you think a Vegas roadie is something that you've been looking forward to, you've got to get yourself a win once you get there, especially you, Chiefs fan. I don't think anybody on the Chiefs or anybody in that organization overall, and certainly nobody on that coaching staff, has forgotten that Chunk Gruden and his team took that idiotic victory lap around their stadium when they beat them during the regular season. Oh man, 
I cannot wait to tell you about my new X chair. I have never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing in my entire career. Honestly, it is so comfortable. I could sit for hours and never feel uncomfortable. So what's the secret? Well, it's not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers incredible lumbar support to my lower back, but now thanks to their new XHMT technology, I can also get heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. It's incredible. So instead of my old, uncomfortable office chair, now I actually look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to my core. It helps increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All perks that make working from home or the office absolutely amazing. I'm doing all that and getting all that while I'm working. You will not believe the X-Chair difference until you feel the X-Chair difference for yourself. Trust me, this is the luxury sports car of office chairs. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. What you need to do is go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, rome.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR, 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now and use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairrome.com. Mike North is my guest. Mike, it's great to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Long-time listener, big fan. Thanks Love for that, Mike. That. Thanks so much. I appreciate you saying that, and it's great to have you on. Appreciate you making time. So, Mike, before we get into the process for how you actually develop that schedule, I'm curious, how does it feel to have the schedule finalized out in the world, floating around? Like, what is the day after the schedule released like for you personally? Uh, it's a good day. I'll be real honest with you. It's a good day, especially one like this. There's been years, you know, you've been covering the sport long enough. There's been schedules that have come out that you could really look at. Anybody could look at and say, what were they thinking? How could this happen? And there are teams that have really legitimate gripes. Uh, thankfully not a whole lot of that this year. So when we come out 24 hours after most of the teams are pretty pleased, all the television networks are pretty happy. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty good feeling, pretty relieved and honestly pretty excited. I wish the season was starting tomorrow. Yeah. You and me both. Mike North is joining us. So Mike, the season opener is Dallas at Tampa Bay, naturally Tampa Bay, the defending Super Bowl champs. We're going to be a part of that game, but what went into the thinking of having Dallas also as part of that matchup? Yeah, there's a lot of different things we can do with that game. You know, the kickoff game, that standalone Thursday night, the first game back, uh, can probably stand on its own. You could probably put just about any opponent in there, and it's probably going to have a lot of interest. It's probably going to rate okay. You know, last year was a little different with the start of the season. You know, we had no preseason. There was no college football. It almost felt like the kickoff game just kind of popped up out of nowhere, and I don't know that everybody was really ready. Uh, we put Dallas there and Dax return and Tom Brady and the champs. Uh, people are going to know that game is there. So kind of get everybody off to a really strong start. Week one is going to be fantastic this year. I'm sure you've seen it. we got a double-double header, so four games in every market, good games at 1 o'clock, two big games at 425, Cleveland, Kansas City, Green Bay, New 
Orleans, reopen L.A., reopen Vegas. It's going to be a really fun week one, and starting with Dallas, Tampa, is really going to get us off on the right foot. I like what I'm hearing. Mike North is the VP of NFL Broadcast Planning and Scheduling. So, Mike, what about week four? Tom Brady and the Bucks going to Foxborough to face the Patriots. That was a game that every single network wanted. How do you go about coming up with placing that game in week four on Sunday night? What was the thought process? Yeah, there's a couple of different things you do there. Number one, you think about maximum value out of that one game. You know, this is a, a generational game. You know, we've had, obviously, players return to former haunts. You know, remember Peyton Manning went back to Indy when he played for Denver. Uh, you know, these things obviously happen, but th- this one's generational. This is a big one. So uh, our thinking was, you know, Howard Katz kind of liked that game early in the season. He was thinking about, you know, get it in while that's the storyline before either team you know, is either too far out of the playoff chase or the story becomes the playoff chase. The earlier in the season, the less likely you're going to have an injury. Obviously, hopefully to Tom Brady, he's pretty resilient. Uh, less likely you're going to have weather. You know, it'll be a different story if Tom's standing on midfield watching a tribute video and it's pouring rain or, you know, six inches of snow. So doing it somewhere early in the season was kind of what Howard Katz had in mind. He drives the process, kind of gives us the guidelines what to solve around. And then whether it landed on Sunday night or Monday night or Sunday afternoon, we were pretty open-minded. The good news is we've got a lot of hardware and software building this problem, helping us solve this problem now. And uh, we were open-minded to a lot of different landing spots for that game. You know, the one we liked the best was where it started landing on NBC early in the season, late Mm -hmm. September like that. Mike North, my guest, I was going to say, Mike, I was going to ask you about the weather and whether or not that factors in, but you answered that. You mentioned Howard Katz a couple of times. You know, when I got my start at ESPN in the early to mid-90s, he was a really big deal there at that time. Like, I would say that I worked for him or reported to him. That's not true. He was too far off the chain. So tell him I said what's up. Good to hear his name. Sure, Jim, I'll do that for you. (laughs) <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Mike North rejoining us. Hey, Mike, can you still hear me? He's gonzo, man. I think Mike's like, hey, I didn't come on this show so you could use me to say hello to somebody you may or may not have worked for back in the day. All right, and now he is back. Mike, welcome back. Good to have you. How you been? I'm <laughs> Since we last spoke, I'm good, thanks. Good, good to hear it. All right, so there's going to be a lot of storylines heading into that game. How big a consideration are the actual storylines when you develop that schedule? For instance, do you try to shut them out completely, or are the storylines a big factor in how you go about putting this whole thing together? Yeah, the storylines are are what makes them interesting, right? So obviously we talk about Tampa, New England. You know, you talk about a Green Bay, Kansas City. You talk about all the big games, the obvious ones that everybody, any fan can look at. We've got 272 of these assets now, and you're really trying to figure out which ones mean the most, which ones are our fans most interested in, and then you try to sprinkle them out, not just across your five television partners, but throughout the whole season. There's definitely some storyline games that either kind of we luck into or just emerge kind of later in the fact. Obviously, Brady going back to New England is one thing, but, you know, Cam's going back to Carolina, Sam Darnold's facing his old team, Darius Slay's going back to Detroit, my buddy Jason Lipton in Philly told me he's gone on that road trip. You know, there's all these games that have, you know, some kind of storyline, and and we're not doing our jobs if we're not putting those in the places where more fans can see them. If you get a big game, even like Tampa, New England, you put it at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Fox, there's eight or nine other games going on, 
the game's only going to be on in 20% of the country. We're not doing our jobs. We're trying to get the biggest games, the one with the most interest, the most compelling storylines in the biggest national windows. Obviously, the ones in December, we're kind of counting on playoff races, and that's a little out of our hands here in May. But you put the big games in the big windows, and then you hope they hold up. Talking to Mike North. All right, so if we're talking storylines, Mike, obviously one of the big storylines in the sport right now is Aaron Rodgers and his status with Green Bay. And I'm curious, how much of that was a factor in your planning and developing this particular schedule? Is it something that you are monitoring as closely as the rest of us? And did that come up in meetings when you went about putting together this schedule? Yeah, of course. We, it, it had to, right? I mean, look, it was a bit of a bombshell when uh, Schefter started, you know, tweeting on whatever that was, Thursday of draft week. Um, at that point, obviously, we were three, four months into the process. We were not finished, but pretty close to the finish line. And uh, obviously, that schedule is going to have a lot of Green Bay Packers on national television. Once we started hearing what everybody else was hearing, you know, it seemed at the time like it was a fait accompli, right? It looked like it was done. He was gone. He was going to Denver. He was going to San Fran kind of thought we were going to find out that first night of the draft, right? If the Packers were going to move him, they were going to get some draft capital for him. So if we found out that night, we certainly would have been able to adjust. That's the whole reason now why the schedule comes out in May instead of middle of April. You give all of April to draft coverage, get to meet the prospects, get to meet the kids, check everybody's mock drafts. Then the draft happens. You do a little post-mortem. Everybody gets graded. And then we all focus on schedule release. That gives us a little time to react to something that happens in the draft. Aaron Rodgers changing teams, that counts. So, yeah, we certainly would have reacted. We spent a couple days, kind of put a pin in the one we had, put it in the drawer, and what if he went to Denver? What if he went to San Fran? What if he goes to Miami? I mean, none of us knew, and frankly, none of us still know. So as we sit here today, and you can see it, the schedule still has a ton of Packers games on national television. They're still a national brand. They're still the Green Bay Packers. They're still the defending division champs. They won, what, 26, 27 games over the last couple of years? Even if the kid plays quarterback and Aaron's hosting Jeopardy, the Packers are still going to be in this thing. But you can see what we did with the national games. Look at the two NBC games in December. They're playing Chicago. They're playing Minnesota. Probably going to have playoff implications. And if not... That's what flexible scheduling is for. We'll move those games to Sunday afternoon, and we'll find a game that we didn't see coming that's currently scheduled for Sunday, and we'll move that to Sunday night. Mike North is joining us. So, Mike, you've mentioned a few of the networks by name. You've talked about some of the teams. I'm curious about the process. For instance, do you engage the teams and your broadcast partners in that process? Are they involved, or is it something that you do independent of them altogether? No, everybody gets, uh, gets their say. Everybody gets a chance. We, uh, we give them a couple of days after the regular season ends to catch their breath. Obviously, some of them are still playing playoff games and, and maniacally still focused on the 2020 season. You know, everybody else has already turned the page, and they're looking at 2021. So we solicit input from all 32 teams. Got to know when the stadiums are available. If you've got college football games or rock concerts or anything else going on in your building that we need to know about, Anything that you want us to keep in mind, honestly, Jim, you could fill out most of these forms. We want to open at home. We want to close at home. We want a mid-season buy. We don't want to play in Florida when it's 110 degrees. We don't want to play in Lambeau when it's negative three. You know, most of those just kind of go into the nice-to-have pile, but some of them are have-to-have. And try to keep an eye on what the teams ask for. Same thing with the networks. Like you said, everybody had Tampa New England at the top of their list, so you knew you weren't going to be able to satisfy everybody there. So if I didn't get Tampa New England, did I get Dallas, New England? If I didn't get Green Bay, Kansas City, did I get Pittsburgh, Kansas City? And just try to move everything around, let everybody feel like they got something. Nobody gets everything. But after about you know the Super Bowl, 
we close and lock the door. The chance for soliciting input is over. Uh, we got what we need from everybody. And then they don't hear from us again until release day. We're not like some of the other leagues where we send out a, a beta version or a draft version of the schedule because we'd never get one done otherwise, right? None of these schedules are perfect. Everybody's going to have something they hate. So uh, we take all the input we need, we think, by Super Bowl, close and lock the door, grind away for a couple of months, and then the next time everybody hears from us was yesterday. We're talking to Mike North. All right, Mike, so what about the schedule itself when it comes to adding a 17th game? How does that change things? Is that a significant difference for you? Yeah, it was. Uh, good and bad. Um, you know, it was, it was a challenge because you might have heard this story before, but, you know, I always liken this to we're looking for the best grain of sand on the beach. The solution space is essentially infinite, and it was when we had 256 games over 17 weeks. Now you add in one more landing spot for each of these 272 games, the solution space has grown exponentially. So we're never going to be able to get through the whole thing. Uh, we know that going in. So the solution space was already infinite, and now it grew. The plus side is we got to add some more high-quality inventory. These extra games, these extra 16 games, that's where you got Green Bay, Kansas City. That's where you got Dallas, New England. That's where you got Seattle, Pittsburgh. So you get some more of that really high-end inventory that our network partners are all looking for. That helped us as we were trying to fill out the national windows. And then on the Sunday afternoon windows, those 16 extra games, they came in as free agents. Even though they're all NFC at AFC, they don't all belong to Fox. They were free agents. So we were able to take one to NBC, take one to NFL Network, split up the rest between CBS and Fox. Not sure we got all the way through the solution space and used every single one of those games in the optimal way, but we landed in a pretty good spot. All right, so Mike, finally, the data is so interesting to me. You have one of the truly unique jobs in sports. The story goes that you started with the league in 1994. You had a degree in computer science. What was your original role at that time? I started in the Internet group way back when, before people had email addresses and websites. Uh, I was doing a lot of missionary marketing. I was literally the guy going around the office with AOL CD-ROMs and putting them in people's computers and signing them up for their very first email addresses. We didn't have NFL.com at that point. So I was literally going around showing everybody what the Internet was. I had done some news groups and you know, followed the dead and the Simpsons and stuff like that on the Internet back when I was in college. And getting into the corporate world and seeing everybody kind of transition into, oh, so this is what you can do with computers. I was going out to Jets and Giants games and typing in play-by-play. -play. Tiki Barber rushes right for six yards, 2-4 from the 26. And we were literally kind of planting a beachhead on what we could do on the Internet for the NFL. And it slowly but surely obviously evolved into this monster project. And now scheduling, I kind of had this rep as the computer nerd. And they brought me over into the broadcasting department working for the legendary Val Pinchbeck. And uh, I've been unbelievably best. blessed, Jim. So, so grateful. Worked for Val, worked for Denny Lewin, Glenn Adamo, and now Howard Katz these last 15 years. I heard you talking about him. I know he was way up the food chain when you were at Espen, but uh, he's still way up the food chain, but I'm right at his hip. I'm right at his elbow, and getting a chance to learn from him over the last 15 years, uh, such a godsend, such a gift. Uh, I, I hope he never leaves. Mike North, my guest. Mike, you know that music means we're out of time. What a great conversation. Tell me you kept that AOL address, though. NFL North at AOL.com. Hit me up. My man, I love that. Mike North, great job, Mike. Really good to have you on. So that's how it gets done. And he did keep the AOL address, which is a boss move. My thanks to the VP of NFL Broadcast Planning and Scheduling, Mike North. Do not go anywhere.
So let's be real for a minute. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. And more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Let's talk about Keeps. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home. And low-cost treatments starting at just 10 bucks a month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps also has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to start right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome to get your first month of treatment for free. keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month free. That's keeps.com slash Rome. Yankee fan, why don't you and I have a conversation? Let's be honest. You and I know in 2021, manager Aaron Boone has not exactly had his bleeping savages at the dish. You know, the ones that you'd gotten so accustomed to and that he'd got so accustomed to since taking over in 2018. In fact, to be accurate, the Yanks hitters are the exact opposite of what a savage would be and have been for most of 2021. I mean, if they were savages then, they're now the opposite. They're altruists. They're philanthropists. They're humanitarians. Like, whatever it is, whenever any of them pick up a bat, they're that. The opposite of savages. Savages? Man, they're freaking saints. But I'm all about finding the positive in any situation, even the savagery in any situation even if it appears that the Yankees do not have any of that left. But they actually do. They still have a Savage. Unfortunately, he pretty much never picks up a bat. But lucky for you, Yankee fan, he does pick up a baseball once a week, and that bleeping Savage is Garrett Cole. Not only is this guy a Savage on the bump, but he is historically Savage once he gets up there right now. I mean, Savage. Savage is a great description, but it doesn't even accurately depict who and what this guy is. Dude is a freaking barbarian. He's malicious. He's inhumane. He's unrelenting. Savage. Dude is downright truculent. Savage. Cole, this guy's practically homicidal up there. Hell, he's murderous. This is how filthy and nasty and diabolical and remorseless this dude has been in baseball with a ball in his hand the last couple of years. In fact, not even two full years, but so much more so in year two than in year one. That savage has been historically good on the bump this year. Remember when people were actually worried about the amount of jack that the pinstripe shelled out for Cole last season? You know, that nine-year, $324 million contract that he signed on the dotted line? Remember that? Remember how hard people were tripping over that? Yeah, well, as my best old ex-friend, Trevor Price would say, this ace is playing as if it should be doubled. Double it. Double it. Double it. Double it. Oh, Trev, my man. Speaking to you, Trevor. Quit texting me about Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur's relationship. 
Trev, I don't care. No, really, I don't care. Anyway, I digress. Shout out, Trevor, what's up? I digress, and I want to talk about the Aaron Rodgers of pitchers. Garrett Cole. Like I said, Cole has been playing stupid in 2021. Yesterday's game against the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that has owned the Yankees as of late, you guessed it, Cole was absolutely stupid once again. My man's just out up there carving the reigning American League champs, doing anything he wanted at will to them. Swing and a miss. That's the fourth strikeout for Cole. That was his 1,500th strikeout. He's done it in 212 games. 2-2. Swing and a miss. He strikes out Zanino. That's the 10th strikeout. Don't mess around. Just put him away. And he does. Strikeout number 11. Now, Cole, this is his 37th game with 10 or more strikeouts since 2018. Swing and a miss. He finishes at 99. And with a stare, he strikes out the side. Fastball, slider, curve, change. Every way the Rays did not want it, they got it from the Newport Beach native. Unfortunately, in typical Yankee fashion for 2021, they did not remember to bring their bats. Luckily, all Cole needed was one sack fly to knock in Aaron Judge, and Aaron Hicks kindly delivered. Yanks won, Rays nothing. Four straight wins for New York. And the W ended a streak of seven consecutive series losses to the Rays. Eight innings of work, four hits, none with runners in scoring position, 12 Ks, zero walks. Is that strikeout to ratio walk any good? 12 to nothing. Straight savagery. My dude is, he's venomous. He's, what's the word? He's, he's mordacious. Homeboy is straight searing. What I'm saying is Savage does not even begin to describe this guy. Let's be really clear about this too. This is no one-off now. He's not bestial a couple of times a year. He's brutish every freaking time he takes the baseball. That was his fifth start with 10 or more strikeouts with zero walks. You heard that correctly. Five starts this season, 10 or more Ks while giving up no walks. I mean, there's command, and then there's how this demon paints the corners. My man has not given up a pass or a walk since April 12th. He's registered 56 Ks since then. Greg Maddox is in awe of your command right now, big dude. Only remaining question for Cole is, do you love pitching as much as Greg Maddox loved pitching? I remember... (laughs) Oh man, I hate to do this, but I love Greg Salter. Anyway, he was he was fidgeting around on the mound, and he was acting like he had pulled his groin. So I was like, "Oh my God, here's our bread and butter, our Cy Young winner." I was, oh my God, Greg, what happened? What happened? He says, "Gracie, stand there." And, and I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "He said, well, you, you just stand right in front of me." I said, "Why?" He said, uh, "Well, in in lack of a better lack of a better uh, term, uh, he was." He was uh, kind of aroused on the mound. Uh, he, he wasn't kind of aroused. He, he, he was extremely aroused. And uh, I just went, well, that, I'm the wrong guy to tell that, you know. So I started busting the gut right on the mound. And I just looked at him and said, dude, you love the pitch, don't you? You think Mark Grace was very popular on this show back in the day? Coming in here and telling stories like that? 
Like Mark Grace was the Steve Elkington of baseball when it came to this show. Dude, you love to pitch. Still an amazing story. And if I'm being honest, Yankee fan probably enjoys watching their team as much as Greg loved to pitch every time Cole steps foot on the rubber. What? Am I wrong? No, John in New York, my man, do not call in with clarification. It was just a joke, dog. Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. Jim, that interview that you did the other month with heavyweight champ Del Monte Wilder, that was like the best interview that I ever heard in my whole life, Jim. Jim, your interviews are the most awesome interviews in the history of radio, Jim. Jim, you're literally my bestest friend in the whole wide world, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Why did you run him, Alvin? Jeff in Southfield if you need him. Anyway. What an absolute weapon Cole is for Boone. So exactly what do you have to say about that guy, Skip? Yeah, he's an ace. I mean, he is an absolute bulldog, and I think he lives for pitching when it's tough. Uh, I was looking for you to call him a bleeping savage, but bulldog works. Actually, no, it does not work. I don't need any more dog talk. Any more references after yesterday? I don't want to set Adam Hawk off yet again. I don't want Dog Nation backing up in here again. Anyway, Yankee fan, after a horrible start, you're now one back of the Red Sox. You're settling in nicely. There is not a slump that Cole cannot stop. But even he can't prevent a COVID outbreak in that clubhouse. But Savage does not begin to do this guy justice. He is historic with it right now. Been absolutely amazing. Hey, are you craving some protein after a good workout? You know it. Don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Make sure you look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, make sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Lucas Giolotto is my guest. Lucas, good to have you back. How are you? How's it going, Jim? Good, good, dude. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, we got a day game here, a little getaway day for the Twins, uh, starting in about half an hour, 45 no, minutes. No, I love that. I love the yeah. fact that you can come on before that. So let me ask you, the team's won five straight. You're currently in first place. You allowed one run over five innings in your last start, getting that win against Kansas City. How pleased were you with that performance, and how do you feel overall right now? Um, I was pleased with the performance. Uh, as far as kind of getting by without my best stuff that day. And uh, it was a, that was a fun game just for the team as a whole because everything was clicking. Our defense was fantastic. We were mashing the ball. Uh, pitchers did a good job. Uh, the guys after me as well. So that was a good win. We kind of closed out that sweep. And then we've been carrying that momentum here through uh, this homestand so far. 
Lucas Giolito joining us. Listen, you know, when you look at last season, you made your, and I bring up last season, I know you're looking ahead, but that postseason debut that you made, you were absolutely dominant. You were perfect through six innings. You led the way to a 4-1 to win over Oakland. When you think back on that game, what do you remember most about it? Oh, I remember that it was a noon start, a little bit early uh, for the baseball schedule. Um, but I, the biggest thing for me was I got into the zone early and I didn't leave it. <laughs> and uh, if that can happen, then you're generally going to have a pretty good day. And, and I did. I, I definitely had a lot of uh, nerves kind of leading up to it. You know, my first time ever starting a game in the postseason, but ended up being a lot of fun. Look, it's that whole notion of like being in the zone or getting to that flow state. Like every great athlete I've ever spoken to would like to be able to do that on command, right? You want to put yourself there. Is that possible or do you just hope that that happens when you need it most? There's there's certain tools, um, you know, certain things you can kind of trick your brain. Uh, it's a lot of work off the field uh, for sure, but there's ways that you can get there and, and ways that you can kind of train yourself to be able to get into that state, uh, whether your body's feeling good or, you know, the results aren't what you want. And, you know, that's a constant process. Uh, every single athlete, is, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that uh, it's not something that just happens all the time. It's something you really have to work at. And that's something that I really made an uh, important part of my game after the 2018 season, mm-hmm. that mental side. Right. You and I have talked about that 2018 season and the sort of adjustments that you made. You know, not every single team in the league has that ace, has that go-to guy, has that horse. They have one in you. What's it mean to you to be the ace of that staff and the responsibility that comes along with that? You know, it, it, it means a lot. Uh, it's, it's definitely very humbling and, and um you know, there's there's certain level of pressure involved and things like that. But at the same time, you look at what uh, the other four starters in a rotation are doing right now. Uh, and I venture to, to say and argue that we have about five aces working right now for the White Sox. So um, it's definitely nice to, you know, just have a, a wonderful vibe between all five of us. We're having a great time. Uh, me in particular, I've been... Uh, I had one really bad start earlier this year and um, since then been kind of tinkering around with a few things. But uh, over the last couple of days, I found a very nice adjustment. So I'm excited uh, for the rest of this year. Now, Lucas, you and I have spoken also about your background and the fact that you played high school ball in the Valley, which I love, 818 for life. Uh, that's that. I'm, I'm proud of you for that, but I also want to admit for the record, Shane Bieber is a UCSB gaucho, so I'm proud of him too. Earlier this season, you faced Cleveland in a game where Bieber was starting for them. You went seven innings, you pitched shutout ball, you struck it out, you ate, you were really sharp. Unfortunately, he was on his game too. Cleveland ends up winning in the 10th inning. I know it's not you against the other guy, but rather you against the other batters, but is there any part of that that feels like you against the other guy, and do you enjoy battles like that with another elite pitcher yeah those those, you know those those big pitcher matchups um i always have a lot of fun with those um you know especially facing shane you know i know him he's a great guy obviously cy young winner uh and in indians a division rival of ours um it it was a lot of fun it was definitely kind of added a little extra fire to that flame we had going into that game and uh, yeah, I pitched about as good as I could that night, but uh, you know Shane was a little better, and uh, they ended up winning in extras there. 
But those are the those are the games that I really really remember. Like when I'm looking back on my like full body work of a season, kind of reminds me of 2019. I had a start against the Mets here in Chicago against Jacob Degrom. Uh, that's one I'll always remember as well. You know, kind of going going against the best. You know, we keep going back, Lucas, to 2018. That was obviously such a pivotal and critical part of your career. You said something that I thought was really interesting in the offseason back in 2018, quote, after a bad start, I would read Instagram DNs of people saying, you should go kill yourself, and I would get emotional, and I would let it get to me, and now it's like, well, that bleep comes with the territory, so like, whatever, it doesn't matter, end of quote. I, I, like, I understand this, but I've never understood this, right? So mm-hmm. how did you go about getting to that point where you make sure that that doesn't get to you, and do you still read that stuff? How do you approach it? Um, yeah, it's a completely different approach now than, than before. You know, I, back, back then, I, I was pitching for results. You know, I, I wanted to do well. I wanted to be able to... Uh, you know, survive at the big league level and, and have good enough numbers that I'd be able to stay and, and be able to keep developing. But uh, I soon realized that if you go in with that approach, uh, it's not going to work out for you. And so I basically just had to change the mindset, became a lot more process oriented, uh, really honed in on having a very reliable routine day to day in the off season and in season. And putting all of my thought, all my focus into the preparation. So when it comes time to perform, you just kind of let your body, let your mind kind of go to work and and do what they do. You know, you've done all the preparation necessary so that you can go out there and, and be your best. And, uh, once I really bought into having that attitude, uh, I started to worry less and less about all that outside noise, you know, as far as, you know, fans being mad or anything like that, um, you know, becomes much more internal and, uh, it's a much better way to live. <laughs> That's for sure. Lucas, I, I, appro- I appreciate that response so much. I love that response. And I love that you're talking about things like mindset and process and preparation. And you committed to these things. And you're so much better on and off the field now as a result. But if you're doing those things now and you're having that kind of success, I'm curious, what was your mindset and process and preparation like prior to committing to all of this? There wasn't a lot of it. Uh, it was changing constantly. I was searching. Um, you know, I'd be trying new exercises in the gym, like on a weekly basis. I'd be trying to do something new mechanically in between every single start. And then I'd, you know, go out there and kind of carry that like unsure attitude out on the field. And it showed, you know, falling behind in counts, uh, not pitching confidently. And, um, yeah, it was kind of like that kick in the butt I needed uh, to realize, hey, like, this isn't the way to go about this. And, you know, that's when I really committed to the change. I love that, actually. So there was a cool moment before I let you go back in November when your teammate Jose Abreu was named American League MVP. And there was a portrait of him painted a painting by your Mm -hmm. mom, Lindsay, hanging in his living room. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing thing. Like, what did that moment mean to you? Oh, it was beautiful. Um, you know, I was glued to the TV during the, all, all the awards presentations uh, in November. And, and you know, me as well as all of our teammates, we were pretty sure that, uh, that uh, Jose had it, had it locked. But, you know, seeing his name called and then they had, they had him uh, on the video screen there uh, and seeing that kind of setup he had behind him, you know, various awards and uh, mementos. 
about his family and, and all sorts of things. And then, you know, I look a little close. I'm like, wait, hold on. Is that, is that the portrait that my mom made? And wow. yeah, it was just such a heartwarming moment. I immediately called my mom. I said, Hey, are you seeing this? And she was like borderline in tears. Um, you know, it just goes to show Jose, we call him Pito, uh, what he means to, to us, uh, the organization, um, you know, it's all love. It's just unreal. That was such a happy day seeing him, uh, you know, lock in that MVP. That's, that's awesome. Really quickly, Lucas, you know, like, so your mom, she was an actress, and then she returned to painting later in life. You always hear about guys and their dads, and their dads and teaching them to play baseball, and their dads mm-hmm. coach them in baseball. Like, I've got a son in high school who plays baseball. His older brother played high school baseball, travel ball, that, you know, on and on and on. What about your mom? You've said that she taught you a lot, both directly and indirectly, about work ethic and what you need to put into something in order to be great. So what have you taken away from her in that regard? And then how proud of you or proud of her are you and the work she's mm. doing? Yeah, I, I don't have enough great things to say about my mother. Um, you know, from an early age, she she was working. Uh, that's when she was acting. That was before the painting. And uh constantly, constantly seeing her work on her craft from a very early age. You know, I'd get pulled in and run lines with her for auditions all the time. You know, she was flying around, going to Canada to film things all the time. uh, And I just kind of took it all in. And, uh, you know, I learned some things along the way, you know, how to how to carry myself, how to, you know, speak well with media, things like that. Uh, And yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better childhood between my dad and mom. Uh, you know, how they raised me, the the values, it was all wonderful. And um, yeah, I mean, as soon as she transitioned into painting, it was more of the same, like constantly working hours every single day, um, going to art classes, learning new skills, and, and she's only getting better and better. Not only one of the best pitchers in the game, still one of the best conversations in the game, Lucas Giolito, my guest. Lucas, really appreciate you. Great to get caught up. Always good to have you in the jungle. Thanks so much for doing that. Let's make sure we do it again soon. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Jim. All right, so Saturday. Saturday, Kobe Bryant is going to be inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and his presenter will be none other than Michael Jordan. Mike presenting Kobe is one of the more iconic things ever. It's a beautiful thing, actually. Kobe not being there is one of the most tragic things ever. It's now been 16 months since Kobe, Gigi, and seven others passed away in that helicopter crash. And even to this day, to me, it does not feel real. And I'm not sure when it's going to feel real. It may never actually feel real. And after watching Michael Jordan this weekend induct his close friend, whom he often referred to as his little brother, it's going to be really bittersweet. Really bittersweet. Mike and Kobe intertwined from the very minute that Kobe got to the league. Kobe always idolized Mike and played like Mike from day one, acted like Mike. He had similar mannerisms to Mike, certainly had the same mindset as Mike. And if you watch the Last Dance docuseries over the past summer, you'll remember that footage of Mike in the locker room at an All-Star game in 1998. He was talking to his teammates about Kobe and saying, quote, that kid thinks he's me. He's just going to take every shot tonight, huh? End of quote. Then at Kobe's memorial last year, Mike told a hilarious story about walking into the Lakers and visiting them during retirement. He wanted to say hello to his former coach, Phil Jackson. So he walks into Phil's office, 
Kobe was waiting, and he looks up at Mike and says, did you bring your shoes? Like, no hi, no bro hug, didn't extend his hand, didn't dap him up. Just, did you bring your shoes? Like, dude didn't care that the alleged goat was there to say what's up to the alleged goat coach. Kobe immediately was in Mamba mode. Did you bring your shoes? Didn't matter that Mike was retired. And none of it mattered. Kobe looked at Mike, and the only thing he thought was, you got your shoes? Let's go. Let's do this. Mike also said that Kobe would text him for advice throughout his career with the Lakers. And that Kobe was the only guy that Mike had that relationship with where he was more than happy to share some of the trade secrets because he knew that he was talking to a kindred spirit. Like the last true killer and assassin on the court who played with that same level of relentlessness that Mike did. So Mike was connected to Kobe in that regard. The connection between the two of them isn't that they were both great at a level that only a few people have actually ever gotten to. The connection was that they were both great in the same way. Remember how shocking that was to see how emotional Mike got at that memorial. Like, I had never seen Mike like that before. Their devotion to craft, their devotion to the grind, the work ethic, to winning, to paying the price. And that they were killers, man. They were ruthless. And neither one of them apologized for it. And they loved each other because of it. Mike even said, quote, his style of play was identical to mine. He stayed true to the course, and I respect that, end quote. So this week, ESPN profiled Mike as he gets ready to induct his close friend into the Hall of Fame. And the piece humanizes Mike in a way that maybe we've never seen before. Mike tells ESPN he still goes into his phone and he reads messages. And he reads the last correspondence he had with Kobe, a conversation where Kobe had reached out to Mike 49 days before his death to compliment Mike on his new tequila. Mike wrote back, quote, thank you, my brother. Happy holidays. Hope to catch up soon. Coach Kobe, ha ha. End of text. The, the Coach Kobe and the laughing emoji that he attached to it was in reference to Kobe, of course, coaching his daughter's basketball team. Kobe writes back, quote, hey, I'm sitting on the bench right now, and we are blowing this team out, 45 to 8, end of quote. And then that was the last text that Kobe sent to Mike. And it's hard not to feel that particular text in every single sort of way, right? Two of the best to ever do it, texting each other in retirement, Coach Kobe bragging on boat racing another team and being up by 40. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's so funny and it's on brand and it's so endearing and heartwarming and just so brutally sad and beyond tragic. Kobe had so many more games to coach, so many more messages to send Mike about those games, so many more lives to impact. Man, so many more amazing things that he wanted to do. Mike told ESPN, quote, I just love that text. It shows Kobe's competitive nature, end quote. Mike also admits that the message itself brings back grief and it triggers certain things and it makes him wonder all over again why it happened to Kobe and why it happened to everybody on that helicopter. 
and he knows he's going to cry again this weekend when it comes time to induct Kobe. Quote, I was thinking at first I might be somewhat nervous about it, but then I realized I'm not going to be nervous about showing emotions for someone that I absolutely loved. That's the human side of me. People tend to forget I have one. End quote. I mean, say whatever you want about Mike, but you can't say that he's not the best and most iconic choice to bring his little brother into the Hall of Fame because he is. I would argue he is. And he knew Kobe as well as anybody. So it's, I, I, I'm anxious to see that, and I'm not. It's going to be the ultimate bittersweet moment. Gregory Russo is my guest. Gregory, good to have you on. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. It's good to talk to you. So listen, take me back to the draft night itself. You're backstage. You get the phone call from Buffalo, and you're talking to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. What was that moment like for you? Uh, it was the best moment of my life. You know, it was, uh, it was, just, it was amazing. I can't even describe it. But yeah, like it was, just a, it, was, it was awesome. It was such a huge blessing. I'm so excited to be here. All right, so the thing is, now I've got a lot of listeners in the Buffalo area, and I would say that you and I are going to get into things that they may or may not know, but this fan base is so amazing. They probably know a lot of this already, but your journey to Buffalo is remarkable in the sense that your father came to the U.S. from Haiti. He took an automotive repair class or classes at Erie Community College, which is right next door to the Bills Stadium. He told the Athletic in the early 90s he used to watch the Bills quite a bit. So what's it like for you to now be playing for a team that your dad was watching all the time while you were growing up uh it's crazy you know like it's a dream come true for me and him <laughs> and it's just it's so wild that i ended up here in buffalo but it's pretty cool because you know he knows about like the area and stuff like that so he's always telling me like stuff and where he used to eat and where he used to go what spots are good so it's, it's been great that's pretty amazing like so you grew up in florida and the story goes that when you were yeah. seven your brothers bought madden 05 and you started to play like what do you remember about that game and then initially how did you get hooked on football uh, really just from that game, you know, just from, like, playing with different teams to learn about different coverages, different route concepts, just, you know, just learn, learn the game of football in and out, all the positions. And I fell in love with it. I started playing, like, a couple months after after that, and I, it just took off from there. See, what's funny about that, when you start talking about different coverages and routes, you actually initially were a receiver and a safety. So, like, what were you like at those two positions? Uh, I mean, those positions were great. You know, they really let me see the – see just the game from like a different perspective you know from defensive line so I thought it was really cool that I got to play different positions in high school and just get a taste of everything and I feel like sometimes you could even use some of the moves not 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 exactly but use some of the moves at like like you'd use that receiver at defensive end when it comes to just trying to shake somebody or trying to use your hands to like get off the jam you bet Gregory Rousseau is joining us. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, there's the way you were on the football field in high school, but then there's also the way you were in the classroom. The director of your school told The Athletic, quote, Greg's the first kid at our school who ever graduated early. I gave him the biggest challenge I thought that I could ever give a kid. There's not supposed to be enough time in the day to practice and train and do a full year's worth of school in one semester, but Greg yeah. didn't sleep, end of quote. I mean, that, that's amazing. Like he said, you're the first kid ever to get out of school early. What do you remember about that time, and how did you attack that challenge? Uh, it was tough for sure, you know, taking all those classes on uh, virtual school. But, you know, if you, if you want something, you have to really go out there. So I attacked it, just like you said, and I just took it real seriously because I knew I wanted to early enroll in the University of Miami. So I enrolled in January instead of, uh, like, enrolling in, like, May or June because I knew I wanted to gain some weight prior to the season because I was a little bit on the smaller side. 
to play defensive end. So it was definitely something that I took super seriously, and, and the decision paid off for sure. All right, so people who work with you, people who have coached or coached you, talk about your work ethic. They talk about your relentless nature. How much of that comes from just seeing your parents work as hard as they have? You know, it all comes from that, honestly. You know, just seeing them grind every single day and hustle and, and go to work and come back late and leave early in the morning, it really motivated me, you know, to be able to help them from day. And just, it really just instilled hard work in me from a very, very young age. Right, so your mom, for instance, said, quote, when he was six, Greg would fold his shirts neatly, put them in his drawer. By the time he was 13, he would clean the entire place. He would sweep the floors so good. No one sweeps floors like Greg. First of all, dude, is that all true? Were you doing things like that? Were you folding shirts at age six? And then secondarily, I've got a 16-year-old kid that I can't get to do any of that crap. I need help. What do I tell that kid? I've tried everything. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're telling, but I mean, for me, I was just like, I was just kind of like a neat person, you know, I like to have everything under control, uh, so really just from a young age, I always like to keep my room neat or, and really just keep the house clean. Dude, I mean, seriously, you were folding shirts at age six? That's yeah, not an embellishment, yeah. that's true. Yeah, no, no, that's true. You're a legend. Maybe, maybe, maybe like seven, maybe like seven. I don't know about this. Either way, you're a legend for doing so. I'm telling you, man, I can't. I love this kid. My son, Logan, teenager, I love this kid so much. I can't get this kid to turn off a light. Like, I don't I don't even get it. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to your parents. So you go to Miami, <laughs> and Manny Diaz convinces you that defensive end is actually the position for you. Like, how did he go about doing that, and what was it like when you fully committed to the defensive end position? Yeah, I mean, it was great when I fully committed to it. I feel like it was a really, really great and just, a, just an awesome move for me and just, like, the way my body was projecting and me knowing I could add weight and stuff like that. But also, um, the reason why I did this because Coach Diaz compared me to uh, Manny Lawson because he coached Manny Lawson when he was at NC State. And he told me that me and him were similar. I think Manny also played receiver when he was in high school. And he, he ended up being a first-round pick, too. So he was comparing me to him, and he was like, yeah, man, I see a lot of your game um, in his – I see a lot of his game in your game. So it was definitely – Coach Diaz played a huge role in that. All right, so you get to Buffalo, and they had a message from none other than Bruce Smith waiting for you. I mean, this guy is just a stud, a legend. What did it mean to hear from a guy like Bruce and to hear him say how pumped he is that you're going to be a member of the Bills? Uh, it was amazing. You know, it was, a, it was definitely definitely a blessing to hear that. It was, it was an awesome moment, and I can't wait to, to meet him uh, hopefully pretty soon and get any knowledge from um, or any tips that he has for me. Hey, listen, the thing is, I mean, you're, you put in the time, you did the work, you're living the dream, but it's one thing to get drafted and get the opportunity. It's another to end up with this particular opportunity. This is a big Buffalo Bills house, this show. I love the Bills Mafia. We already talked about the fact that your family's got roots there. What's it mean, though, to join a team like the Bills at this time that's competing for a Super Bowl, that's on that short list of teams that can win a Super Bowl right now? Yeah. Uh, it's amazing, you know. Uh, they had a great year last year, and then we're, we're all working here to carry that success in the next season, and I can't wait to contribute to that as much as I can. All right, so what do you want the Bills Mafia to know about their newest player and the guy who's going to wear number 50 this season? Exactly what are they getting in that guy? Are you getting somebody who's going to bring it every single day, you know, on and off the field, in the meeting room, in the weight room, uh, really just, really just uh, maximize my potential and learn from all the older guys earn a trust in my teammates, earn a trust in the coaches, and just be the best player I could be year one. You know, I'm really curious. Last season, it came around, and you made a really tough call to sit out the year. I'm sure there must have been a really difficult decision with long conversations. What was that process like, and what were the conversations you had with your family about that decision like? 
Uh, it, was, it was a tough process for sure. You know, it took, took a lot of time to, for me to make a decision with my family. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I had to do what I had to do. So I'm just, I'm just glad to be where I'm at right now uh, here in Buffalo, and I'm just so excited for the future. All right, the 30th pick in this year's draft out of Miami. He was an All-American there. Gregory Rousseau joining us. Greg, great to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good night.